Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And welcome to My Favourite Work of Art with me, Dr. Laura-Jane Foley. Each week, I'm joined in the studio by a guest who tells me all about an artwork that means something to them. Today, my guest is the artist Jane McAdam-Freud. Jane is a daughter of two artists. She received her first degree from Central School of Art in London and was awarded the British Art Medal Scholarship in Rome. She is also a graduate of the Royal College of Art. Her multidisciplinary practice includes sculpture, drawing, print and digital media. Jane's work has been exhibited widely across the USA, Asia and Europe. Solo shows in the UK include exhibitions at the Ashmolean Museum in Oxford, the Fitzwilliam Museum in Cambridge and the Freud Museum in London. Her work appears in many major national and international public collections, including in the permanent collections of the British Museum, the V&A and the National Gallery. She also teaches sculpture at Central St Martins and Morley College in London. I'm delighted she's joining me today. Welcome, Jane. Hello. So tell me, what is your favourite work of art? Well, um, I think the uh, the work of art that's been most um, influential uh, has been Picasso's La Reve, The Dream. I think it's been... Um, it's sort of followed me throughout my career and I think it's unconsciously influenced uh, my trajectory... In what sense? Um, well, I first used that image. Well, perhaps we talk, say okay. what the image is, actually. Okay. Um, so for our listeners, it's uh, it's very sort of phobic, phobist colours, aren't they? They're reds and yellows, very Matisse-like almost, isn't it? Uh, yeah. um, it's an image of a, of a woman, presumably. A female, a yeah, chair. his, his um, lover. Uh it was painted in 1932, so it's uh, an image of Marie-Thérèse Valter. Uh, and this image was painted in 1932 along with uh, so many, hundreds of other works. I mean, it was a really productive year for Picasso. And um, he said it was the best year of his life. I don't know what he meant by that, reading that. I assume he meant uh, that... He did a lot of work. He was very productive and he felt very alive. He was, uh, she was a secret lover, but he was living at home with his wife. So why has this painting been important to you? Well, I entered this competition. It was the RSA, that's the Royal Society of Arts bursary competition. So I think it was in the second year 
when I was in the second year at the Central and um, I decided I wanted to make a commemorative medal, uh, bronze really, I mean, uh, a two-sided work that commemorated him. I mean, the brief was to make a medal, but I hated medals in that traditional sense. So I decided I would make a small relief that wasn't round um, with uh, Picasso's portraits on one side, um, and an image from one of his paintings, or the detail of an image from one of his paintings. And this and competition, what was it to commemorate uh, Picasso? What was the purpose it of was, the competition? Yeah, it was to commemorate Picasso's centenary. So it would uh, uh, be for 1981, although I made it in 1980. So um, he was born in, of course, 1881. So it was the centenary of his birth, you know, to commemorate that. And it was organised. I mean, on the on the uh, panel that chose the winning um, idea, uh, winning piece that was going to be put into production, well, you know, produced the one-off produced by the Royal Mint, um, was Mark Jones was on the panel. He was from the British Museum. I think there was a representative from the Royal Mint, and there were about two or three other high-ranking uh, museum type. So how did you go about choosing what image to use for the medal? Oh, well, I um, I decided I would, I'd like the medal to actually be more like a relief sculpture. So I um, sort of made the outline, the shape of his head, you know, Picasso's head. So I found a photograph I liked of him that made him, you know, that was sort of recognisably him, but also he had a very sensitive expression in it was a three quarters view which is always easier <laughs> in relief and I uh, drew the outline and I looked for an image that would perhaps fit that outline or look well in that sort of outline and I settled on um, La Reve because it fitted perfectly perfectly it was like a dream itself the way <laughs> the way it fitted together so it was for that reason to just just the formal reason that I first decided that was the one out of all the paintings he'd done that that would fit. And also it's beautiful. The mm. colours are beautiful, the composition's beautiful and there are hidden unconscious elements which I didn't pick up on at the time but I think that's how we live. We don't know what we're doing uh, consciously, uh, fully, if you say, I mean, it's not all fully conscious so we think we're fully we're operating on a fully conscious level but we're not uh we are driven by those unknown instincts um and i think i think uh the fact that Inside Picasso's head, this year was very libidinous for him, you know. He had the secret lover. Inside his head was the driving libido that made it the best year of his life. He had his wife, he had his comfortable home, and he also had his lover. And um, neither, I mean, were creating havoc for him, it seems. It was the best year of his life. Well... I mean, I'm a feminist, so I don't agree with uh, the act. I'm just looking at it in terms of the the act of betrayal in any way. But I'm looking at it as uh, 
an interesting phenomena and complex phenomena that I chose that piece that if you look at Larev, you'll see the penis on the top of the head inside as part of the female's head. So he sort of projected his own libido onto the painting, as it were. Mm. The head is sort of separated in two parts, isn't it? But as you say, there is a sort of phallic symbol at the top. Quite clearly, Um, yeah, quite clearly. Yeah, and her hands as well, uh, resting at uh, the lower part of her body. Um, suggest she's in some kind of, I suppose, sexual... Euphoric state. Yeah, yeah sexual yeah. reverie or something. Um, so this painting obviously won you the prize. And then what did that lead to? Work-wise, uh, I mean, uh, the, the, the uh, British Museum started this society called the British Art Medal Society, which, um, interestingly, they asked me to... Uh, could they make use of that winning entry as one of their first editions? So the, the society was going to make very small editions of contemporary relief works, you know. Um, so, no, I'm just wondering in what other ways this painting has come to you through your career, whether you've visited it again, um, literally in person. I mean, when was the first time you, you saw the painting physically? Yeah, well, you know, it was um, 1980. We didn't have the internet. <laughs> so I couldn't... Uh, I couldn't see uh, which uh, museum or gallery had that work. I couldn't find so easily, you know, I couldn't trace the, the whereabouts as easily as we could do now. But uh, every, I, I have travelled a lot, you know, I had this um, scholarship in Rome and uh, for three years. And so I, uh, there were lots of exhibitions, Picasso ones, uh, during 86 and 89. <clears throat> I always uh, looked for it and, and saw it many times in different venues, um, different galleries, and I saw it most recently. Um, at the Tate. At, at the Tate, yeah, mm. the Tate. Modern, yeah. But has the painting itself, um, have you used it again in your work, do you think, or has, has um, it influenced you in any way? Uh, it's, not, it's not the painting itself that's been um, influential. It's more the fact that I didn't know the things I didn't notice about it, the things I later noticed, what's happened to that painting in the meantime, how much press it's had when, you know, that painting um, was made during a time where we were not ready to see the phallus in the head of the female. We weren't ready and we didn't see it. Um, since, so I've been following this whole sort of cultural shift to when we were allowed to see it, when we weren't allowed to see it. It first came to public notice when um, it was bought by a collector who put his arm through it. Yes. Now, this is a story of Steve, and Steve Wynn, isn't it? The casino yeah. magnate yeah. Who, uh, who famously was showing off, I think. I think he was sort of showing off to his friends about the painting. Then he'd managed to secure a great sale for it. And, uh, and in his, his showing off, he pierced it, didn't he? He did. Stuck his arm through it. He put his elbow through the canvas and broke it. <laughs> and then, of course, this oh, was dear. in the press. Yeah. And uh, he wasn't very... <laughs> Obviously, it must have been devastated. I mean, they've mended it and they've done a good job, apparently, but... But it was a six-inch tear, so it was some accident. Yeah, awful, awful. But as a sculptor, I mean, have you had any accidents with your work or...? Um, yeah, instance? I mean, I always call them the happy accidents, you know. I like to have... Uh, I like sometimes to um, cause them. Really? So I've got one example of where I caused it. So 
I made her work again. I mean, I do work with Freudian theory, you know, and uh, this idea of the unconscious. <laughs> so I was making uh, a figure, and, and I think this painting it has it's really um, it really made me think about what we're allowed to see and what we're not allowed to see, and that's where we go. Uh, and um, well, I thought uh, I wanted to make a work that would uh, be a metaphor for the. Um, like the psychoanalysis, really, yeah? The process of uh, spilling one's guts, as it were. Mm. And I thought, well, you know, there's already a metaphor there for um, psychoanalysis, which is like masturbation. So I wanted to put... Um, a f I wanted to make a massive figure midst, you know, midst orgasm, as it were. But And I had... It was a kneeling figure... Uh, it was like I'd made some maquettes around this idea because I wanted, uh, I wanted it to be paired with a couch, you know, because of the medal it pairs two sides, two images. So I wanted my works to be paired. I like the idea of continuing that theme. So I made a life-size work in clay and with clay, you know, it's wet. You have to cover it with um, cloths and wet cloths. Uh, keep it wet so it doesn't dry out. Anyway, but they have to be very light because um, the work eventually is hollow. So I put a, quite a heavy cloth on on purpose because it was driving me mad seeing it from the kitchen window and the shape of it. And somehow I couldn't, I wasn't ready to live with it myself, this piece. It was mm. too out there and too, I just, I just couldn't bear it. You know, I thought, oh, no. Uh, I'll, I'll, I want it to be prostate. You know, <laughs> I don't want it to be. A kneeling figure. Uh, I didn't want it to be active somehow. I wanted it to be resolved. I think it's looking... If you look at a painting that's smiling, that's impossible to live with. Just like anything midst something. It has to be a resolved state. So it's almost as I wanted the thing to have climaxed, you know, not to be <laughs> in the middle. I don't know. I don't know what drove me to put this heavy cloth on. Which collapsed it, of course, came down in the morning. Yeah. The whole thing was on the floor. And I imagined I'd undo the cover and it would be this perfectly, in my head, this perfect image of this piece lying down, you know, um, in a sort of post-coital state. And, of course, it was all in bits and I had to put the bits all back together, which is a really strange so thing to do. It. it was really therapeutic yeah. to, to reassemble it, which took forever. And it was really a labour of love itself. <laughs> a labour of love and... You know, and I exhibited that in front of the couch at the Freud Museum in 2006. Did you take any photographs of it in its state? Yeah, I had state beautiful of, photographs uh, but of, in its it state of it No, in its state of collapse. No. So that foolish. wasn't part of the process, because I just wondered if that no, was... this is an unconscious drive mm. to make to have a happy accident, to make the thing... Uh, 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 in a way, to make, to remake it, to renew it in a way that I could live with it. Do you know what I mean? Mm. That I could actually continue the work and finish it. So I felt it was an important work because it was part of my concept, if you know what I mean. But these things aren't uh, designed. These things are driven, as you know, by unknown instincts. Unknown instincts, or well, my, my, the way I work is certainly trusting those instincts, uh, why would we put conscious knowledge before unconscious knowledge? Why would we do it? We've been taught. We've been taught not to by Sigmund Freud, who, 
as it happens, it's proving to have been correct in his uh, theories. You know, we we threw his theories out, but they're now uh, proving to have been ahead of their time, proving to be uh, uh, neurologically um, sound. Well, what an apt place to end the conversation with the granddaughter of Sigmund Freud. Thanks for coming in, Jane. Uh, today we were talking about La Reve, a 1932 oil painting by Spanish artist Pablo Picasso. This large, colourful canvas depicts Picasso's mistress and muse, Marie Therese Volta, and reportedly was painted in just one afternoon. Picasso was born in 1881 and died aged 91 in 1973. He's one of the most well-known and influential artists of the 20th century and was a founder of the Cubist movement. 1932, the year La Reve was painted, was an incredibly creative year for the painter and the year itself was the subject of the first ever Picasso solo show at Tate Modern. If you would like to see the artwork we were discussing this week or carry on the conversation further, you can find me on Twitter at Laura Jane Foley. And if you want to discuss the show, please use the hashtag MyFavouriteWorkOfArt. The show was recorded at Wise Butter in London and was edited by Jack Townley. The title music is Blue from Colours by Dimitri Scarlatto. I hope you'll be able to join me next time. Goodbye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.